We're so glad you're here tonight. Welcome to the Edmund Church of Christ. If you're our guest, we especially want to extend a warm welcome to you. We are in a series on Sunday nights in Ephesians, and throughout Paul's letter we call Ephesians, Paul is really trying to communicate to the Gentile Christians that they have a place in God's kingdom, that once they were far away, but now through Christ, they are a part of what God is doing through the church. But they're struggling to understand that, and they're struggling to get over some barriers. At the same time, some of the Jewish Christians are struggling with that idea of unity with the Gentile Christians. So in chapter 4, Paul has a lot to say specifically about being one and being unified. And that is the theme of tonight's service. And so our ministry staff is going to walk us through some of those texts, share some thoughts. We're going to intermix some songs and some scripture readings with that um, time of praise together. Some of you are kind of nervous when you see seven ministers on the stage. You think we're going to be here a long time, but they have promised me that they will all speak very uh, briefly. So we'll see if, if they do that. But it's going to be a good time of worship together. I think it's very appropriate that our ministry staff speaks on the theme of unity, because I can assure you that our staff is extremely unified. And that we are very diverse. We bring different gifts and different perspectives to the table, but we are very much unified and very much working in the same direction by the grace of God. And so I look forward to this time of worship this evening. We're glad you're here. Let's continue to sing and worship together. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Well, I always enjoy the opportunity to, uh, to speak with you guys, and I promise I will hold to uh, keeping it brief tonight. Uh, I really appreciate this verse. It is a passage that is very dense. There's a lot there. There's a lot of content present in this. But I really want to pull out one idea and dive into this idea of the bond of peace in verse 3. I like to uh, watch some YouTube, and there's one channel that I subscribe to that uh, takes really complex concepts and really breaks them down into simple terms so that even somebody like me can understand them. And one of the channel, or one of the videos that I watched was under the title of, Is War Come to an End? And it had this idea, it presented this idea that statistically, we are far less likely to be impacted by war, either by participating or, or being directly affected than any other time in human history. And it really attributed it to three main things. First of all, just globalization, the fact that we're far more connected to other nations than we've ever been. And it's probably even cheaper now if we want the resources of another nation to trade with them than it would be to invade. Uh, the idea of the fact that democracies are far more common now, and it's really rare for two democracies to go to war. And the idea that with nuclear warfare as an option, conflict between large nations uh, now has an existential threat that never existed previously in history. So they presented the idea that we live in the most peaceful era in human history. Now it's still acknowledged that there's not a ton of time between now and World War II, so the idea to, of extrapolating what the future is going to look like, maybe we can't do too much of that. But it's still a really interesting idea, a really hopeful idea, a really positive idea. 
But even if it's true, I would argue that peace is still really evasive. It's still really hard to come by. There's probably people in this room who are a little nervous about what this week looks like because they're going to go home and spend time with family where conflict may be kind of the routine. And I also would argue or, or guess that if we sat down a thousand Americans and said, what is the number one thing you want in your life, that peace would be one of the answers that we got quite a bit. It's still a really hard idea to come from, or to, to embrace. And if conflict in our relationships is our struggle, there's some real insight in verse 2 that is offered. We get this idea of humility and gentleness, and that can go a long way in letting go of our pride so we can connect in relationships. There's an idea of patience, that we're patient with other people, and the idea that we bear with one another in love, and that love is poured over all that we do, and those concepts are reflected in other places in Scripture as well. And there's also... If, if we're looking at conflict within ourselves and looking for peace within ourselves, then we might look at other places in Scripture, like Philippians 4, 6, and 7, where we're told that to pray to God, not to be anxious, and that peace can be a result of that relationship. Peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, in Isaiah, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. So I think from that we can uh, extrapolate this idea that a relationship with God is a way to pursue peace. We have, really, we have very recently celebrated the anniversary of the armistice of World War I, November 11th, 1918. And I recently came across a story that really caught my attention. The armistice was signed by those world leaders at 5.20 a.m. in the morning. But there was a certain poetry to the idea that the war ended in the 11th month on the 11th day at the 11th hour. And so it was allowed to uh, remain going until that time. Between 5.20 and 11 o'clock, many of the commanders wanted to finalize borders. They also, in some cases, wanted to exact as much revenge from their opponents as was possible. And so the fighting was particularly brutal during those last hours of World War I. In keeping with the poetry, 11,000 men lost their lives between the signing of the armistice and the time that it became official. The point of that story is this. If you need peace in your relationships or peace within yourself, pursue those things right now. Don't put it off. That has a cost. Pursue peace in what we do. Pursue God's word and his picture for that in relationships and pursue it in yourself through a relationship with him. Thank you. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascend mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ.
As has been noted, the call of Ephesians 4 is to mature together and to mature towards unity. And Paul believes that Christians mature uh, more into the image of Jesus, and as they do so, they become more unified. Those are tied together. Maturing into the image of Jesus means you become more unified. Uh, One way that you mature into the image of Jesus is knowledge. The Uh, What you learn, what you believe, you develop that. The beginning of chapter 4 covers that. But then what what happens after that? Once you share common beliefs, once you share common goals, what should follow is action, service. So the call of this middle section that we're going to cover now is uh, now that you believe the same thing, now that you are unified in your goals, go, serve. I am going to read again a section from uh, chapter 4. I'll read 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Christ gave them, what for? To equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. When I was in college, I had an assignment that was uh, meant to take the whole semester. It was to put together a philosophy of ministry. And in that assignment, you had to cover, it was was exhaustive. You had to cover a lot of different aspects of ministry. What were your values? How were you going to use volunteers? How were you going to handle disagreements? All of those things. But the first thing that you had to put on your philosophy of ministry is what scriptures are going to guide your ministry? Choose a handful of scriptures. What are you going to allow to guide your ministry? And at at the top of mine was Ephesians 4, this call for leaders to equip people for works of service. That's how you help people mature. It's one of the ways we find unity and maturity is through serving together. So I view one of my primary responsibilities as a person of influence in the church is to equip people for service. In Ephesians 4, the purpose of service isn't necessarily laid out. It's more uh, the outcome of serving. And Paul notes, when you serve together, you mature more into the image of Jesus. And when you serve together, you become more unified. When you work together, you become more unified. That makes sense. Think about the the moments where you have felt the most connected to your fellow brothers and sisters. I imagine those moments are times whenever you served together with other people. I imagine that the times when you felt closest to your fellow Christians were times when you were working together to accomplish a common goal. Uh, My mind immediately goes to our McAllen mission trip. And when we leave for the McAllen mission trip, you can see distinct groups. You can see the college group, for the most part, they hang out to themselves. When we leave, you can see the high school group, for the most part, they hang out to themselves. At the beginning, you can see the sponsors hanging out with themselves, wondering what were we thinking, you know. Um, And there's kids that go on the trip, and you can see that distinct group. And that exists until the first day that we serve together. But after a day of service together where you mix those people up and there's just something about building a fence or painting a house in order to bless that community and bless that church that just brings people together. 
And so after that first day of service, you don't see a group of high school students, you don't see college students, you don't see sponsors. You normally just see people crowded around Steve Gibbs listening to stories, but um, the, the distinctions that you see at the beginning, they, those break down when you serve together. I know you have common experiences. I know you've experienced something similar to that. And Paul says, essentially, part of serving together is going to bring us together. I, I know that you have experienced that. Uh, our congregation believes in the power of serving and believes in the power of serving together in order to mature into the image of Jesus and also to find unity. That's why our leadership has really emphasized, if, if you can, go on a mission trip. If you can, participate in Mission Edmund. If you can, uh, sign up on our involvement sheet that's super long, tons of jobs, tons of ways to be involved at this congregation that Kent and Matt do a good job putting together. And the whole purpose of those things is, is not just to put people to work, but to serve and bless others. But in doing so, we'll mature more into the image of Jesus. And in maturing more into the image of Jesus, we're going to find unity as a congregation. And so the call to action is, is pretty simple. If you are a person of influence at any level, if you're a minister, if you're a shepherd, if you are a class leader, if you are a teacher, if you're a DBS leader, if you are a parent and you have influence over your home, emphasize service. You have a responsibility to call those you have influence over to serve and bless others. And in doing so, they are going to grow more into the image of Jesus. And then they're also going to grow closer to fellow brothers and sisters. And it, if you don't find yourself in one of those positions of, of influence, then, then be equipped. I mean, I guess that's the call really on all of us. Be equipped. Uh, that See the opportunities to serve, seize those opportunities, and then watch the fruit that comes from allowing God to use you. So my prayer is, as I wrap up my section today is, is just to ask God to continue to bless the efforts of this congregation as we seek to serve alongside each other. And my prayer is that in doing so, we'll grow more into the image of Jesus and we'll grow closer and more unified together. In moments like these, I sing out a song. I'd like to begin with confession. That's a great start to a sermon, right? Uh, growing up, I wasn't a very good swimmer. And to be honest, my parents didn't really do much to help me out with that. In fact, they never took me to swimming school. Um, and I, I really doubt that in the small town of Burnett, Texas, where I grew up, anyone had a swimming pool to begin with. So uh, that point would have been a little mute. But my mom would just like take me to the creek and she would say, jump in and do the doggy paddle while she was scolding me and yelling at me while I was just trembling on the bayside, like I, I didn't want to go in there. Uh, I never really understood the whole idea of do the doggy paddle because I remember being little like and watching a dog swim like in a body of water. I was thinking all the technical stuff, the important stuff, the swimming stuff is happening below the surface. I can't see any of that. I have no idea what's going on. Then I would go out with friends to the lake and I had two choices. One, I could stay out of the water like a wimp and just be that kid. Or two, put on a pair of floaties. Nobody likes the kid that puts on a pair of floaties when they're, you know, eight, nine, ten years old. You can't be a man and wear floaties, am I right? <laughs> and that means you can't make it on your own. Whether the water flows is where you end up. You have no control. 
And so many times we feel like we are out on the lake or out on the sea on our own, right? We live in a very individual, individualistic culture. We're kind of beside ourselves. We're told to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps and to make it on our own. Sometimes, though, the water is calm and we can stay afloat and decide where we want to go and how we want to react. Sometimes things go our way. We have life right where we want it. We have a decent job, sometimes more than a decent family, <laughs> and great people to get together with on Sundays and Wednesdays to worship God. Sometimes those waters are a bit more turbulent. We struggle and fight thinking that we can tread water and keep ourselves afloat, that we can make it on our own. We are just co-pilots to the waves of life. We have things to get done before the end of the year, and the stress builds and builds and builds. Holidays are sometimes tough because of drama in our families, or we feel the holes where a loved one used to be. Instead of reaching out for God in our family here, or our brothers and sisters in Christ, we try to make it on our own, wanting to stay afloat on our own, or drown trying. Paul dives into this metaphor as he's writing to the Ephesians in chapter 4 about this unity that is represented in the followers of Christ, that we're a family, uh, brought together by the gospel of Christ. Christians are distinct by the way that they are not defeated by situations or circumstance. They rely on God and encourage fellow believers that are drowning. And so here we have this beautiful section about the body of Christ. That no matter what ethnic or religious lines or barriers that our culture or America or the world put up, Jesus is bigger than that. Jesus is greater than that. It's the truth of his life, sacrifice, and resurrection that bonds each other together. That none of you are out at sea or on a body of water alone trying to stay afloat. And so as Christians, we are not victim to the world and its teachings, but rescued by Christ and his church. There are so many lies that are easily bought into. There are so many other idols and gods that we may get tripped up by, right? Whether it's fame, fortune, uh, you know, relationships, anything like that. And as believers, we are commissioned to guard truth by knowing scripture and representing that in our lives. And so we get to these last two verses, verses of Ephesians 4, this kind of middle section here. Paul says, instead of speaking the truth in love, we will grow, or no, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Here Paul zeroes in on the unity of the church and how it supports, it encourages, and grows together in Christ, that no one's on their own. This truth unites us by drawing us together in who we are and whose we are. That we're not defined by labels, by successes, by failures, but simply by the gospel, by what Jesus has and already, uh, already has and continues to do for us. Our pasts do not define us, our weaknesses do not disable us, and our situations do not limit us. No matter what that water looks like, we have God. Because of Jesus and his church, we are free to choose to be like Christ in teachings and in life. This is the uniting truth that defines us. We are not caught up in the waves, but rather make our way into a lifeboat of the church where Christ is the head. And so to, to just kind of like visualize, to give you an analogy of what this, this growing uh, into Christ, or as Jeremy said, this maturing into Christ looks like, yes, I, bought, I brought a uh, Spider-Man bobblehead, uh, and if you can't see it, well then, uh, you're on the back row, I'm sorry. Um, but together, we are united by the gospel, by Jesus, what he has done for our lives, who has, he has created us to be, and sorry, high school, like I know you've already kind of seen this, so I'm not revealing anything new. Uh, that's, that's fine. But as a church, we are the body of Christ, and Christ is the head. 
and he's mature, he's developed, he's faithful. And every single day, we as the church, we as followers of Jesus, try to grow into that head. And so even though this head is slightly bigger than this small, cute, petite body, we're always being challenged. We're always motivating ourselves. We're always being encouraged to grow into the rest of that body. And so God did not create nor intends for us to tread water and survive the ways of our life on our own. We are believers that are united in truth, and we are always seeking to become more like Christ. Together we get to enjoy the goodness of God on the mountaintops and intimately get to know him as we face the trials, not separated, not on our own, not striving for every breath, but motivated, encouraged, and hopeful together. Not grow or grow to maturity without each one doing what it's supposed to do. When all of us offer our gifts to the body, whatever they may be, the body will grow. And when we don't, the body cannot grow. It's just that simple. And I like the idea that I am part of something bigger than myself, but more than that, we are part of something bigger than ourselves. Rachel and I came to Edmond in the fall of 1993. And what I know about Edmond is that part of what makes this church family great is the members working to build up the body just as Christ wants it. The church is counting on you to do what God has made you, what God has saved you to do. So tonight, if you have yet to dedicate yourself to the building up of the body, then the front row is open to you tonight. If you want to submit yourself to Christ in baptism, we would love to share in that and celebrate that with you tonight. If you'd like the prayers of this church family, we'd love to do that with you as well. Will you join us as we stand and sing?